Well, good morning and um, welcome to the post-Christmas part of the church year. So, I don't know, do you still, anyone still have their trees up? All right, yes, so, so we do choose people who uh, get on this faster. Um, this is Labor Day. Okay, Labor Day. Okay. So um, so uh, we have been either preparing for Christmas or celebrating Christmas for the last month and a half, but now we have moved beyond Christmas uh, in, the, in the church year. Uh, you know, you've heard the song, there's 12 days of Christmas. Well, this is the 14th day of Christmas, which means it's not really Christmas. It means that it is the baptism of the Lord. So we remember the thing that happened next in the, the biographies of Jesus. Um, they begin uh, with the accounts of the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, all four of the biographies of Jesus, there's, there's four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them feature the baptism. And uh, they all tell it in different ways, but they all have the, the basic structure laid out. So we're going to look at the shortest one today. So um, it's just a couple of verses, and we'll see as we look into it, uh, that it that it tells us something that the Christmas story doesn't. Or, or I should say, the Christmas story tells us something, but it's not as easy to see in the Christmas story as it is in the baptism story. So in, in the Christmas story, you know the idea is that Jesus, um, that, that God became flesh. God became a human being and he dwelled among us. So so God appeared in a human body and walked around in the earth for 30 something years and then he ascended to he was he was crucified, died, resurrected and then he was ascended. I um, mean he is now with the Father. So so that is the idea of Christmas. Christmas is the idea that uh, Christ has been born and that um, Jesus is is God in in a human body or or as a human body. So, and one of the reasons that we we know about that is that is that is that the the New Testament tells us the reason or one of the many reasons that he did that is to let us know what God is like. So we read in the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. So Jesus shows us what God is like. But that works in both directions. If, if God has become a human being, God also is showing us something else in, in Jesus. So I don't know if any of you saw this. A couple of weeks ago I saw um, an image. You know, the, the, the rage right now is using AI to create art or to create text and things like that. There was a picture a couple of weeks ago. It was, it was a researcher who decided that this is what Jesus looked like. So he put together some art from the first century. Um, there's not a lot of it uh, that looks as representational as this, but he had the computer analyze what art he could find, and then he included other things that from, from later periods and so forth, and he had the computer work it all over, and the computer decided this is what Jesus looked like. So, um, and, and for all I know, Jesus did. This is not a picture of Jesus, but he's saying this is, this is closer than the picture we get in a lot of art. This is probably more accurate than some art. Now, um, about five or six years ago, somebody else did this, but they didn't use a computer. They used uh, forensic techniques, the kind that detectives use when they, you know, are trying to solve a crime or something like that. They actually had a number of skulls from the first century, and they, you know, well, skeletons, but including the skulls, and they did they did uh, reconstruction techniques based on those skulls. They laid on the muscles and everything, tried to figure out what the facial features would be like, and when they did that, they came up with this this picture of Jesus. So, 
um, again, and and they they had little details based on their study of the the bodies or the, the the remains that are available to us from the first century in that area. They would say Jesus would probably have been about five foot one and about one hundred and ten pounds, and that would have been very normal in that in that era. So so that's that's another way of trying to guess what it is that Jesus looks like. Jesus looks like like God. He he is the image of the invisible God, but he is also a person. He's also a human being. And that's what these attempts have been uh, trying to do, is to, to get it the picture of what Jesus looks like. But they kind of miss the point. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's neat to imagine that that, that could be Jesus. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this. But I think they miss the point, because the, the point of art is to show us something about the relationship that God has with us. So, um, yes, it's it's almost certainly true. Jesus probably was not pale like that. He looks like he's been living in Alaska during the, you know, and he went to, traveled someplace, went to Hawaii, and now he's at the beach. Right? Jesus was probably not quite that pale. So, um, but that's what artists have always done. Jesus is always depicted as one of us. So we see that in, in art from around the world. What artists do typically is they illustrate Jesus looking like one of them. So we see, you know, in Cameroon or China, in Egypt and in Japan, this is something people have done. And that is really the idea that Jesus looks like one of us. So we get that idea out of Christmas, out of the Christmas story, but the baptism of the Lord, the, the event that these pictures show illustrates it in a way that is even richer than the, the the Christmas story. So it kind of fulfills what the Christmas story promises. So I want to look at um, this brief little reading today, and it's it's too brief, so I want to set it up by looking, just back backing up a little bit through the, the previous couple of verses. So, so Luke begins this chapter by telling us when this all happened. The 15th year of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod was ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. So he, he's locating this in space and time. He's saying this happened about 30 AD. So the scholars can try and triangulate among all these names and so forth and figure this out, but someplace around 30 AD. So, And he says not just the political big shots of the time, but he also mentions the religious big, shot, big shots, so the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So um, he's located now what he's going to tell us about later in this chapter. And he says, he says, during this time, about 30 A.D., God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So because, because of when this happened, we know it's about 400 years since the last time God's word came to a prophet. So that was the prophet Malachi, and he ministered roughly 400 B.C. So it's 400, 430 years, something like that, since the last time God's word came to a prophet. And now John shows up in the wilderness acting like he's a prophet. He's dressing like a prophet. He's eating bugs like a prophet. He's 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 outside the religious establishment. You know, he's not that far. The Jordan River is, you know, not that far from Jerusalem. But John's not up in Jerusalem. He's not up at the temple complex. He's not a part of the religious establishment. John has positioned himself outside the religious establishment. He has positioned himself as a a voice from God correcting 
or or um, filling in what the religious establishment has not been doing. So, uh, you know, adding to filling filling in details that the religious establishment has not been doing. John has established himself outside the religious establishment. He's he's positioned himself there, and worse than that. John is telling other people they can be outside the religious establishment too. So John goes throughout the region of the Jordan River calling for people, calling for people to what? To be baptized and show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. So that's, that's the translation. Traditionally it's, uh, he pre- was preaching a baptism of um, repentance for forgiveness of sins. I like this translation because they fleshed that out a little bit more. He says they were baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. So let's pick that apart a little bit. It says they wanted to show something. They wanted God to forgive their sins. That, that they had decided, you know what? I can go up to the temple. I can make my offerings. I can celebrate the festivals. I can do all the things I'm supposed to do. And I am such a mess that there's no hope for me. That if it's up to me, I'm out of luck. I can't do it. So they wanted God to forgive their sins. They said, you know what? I have changed my mind. I have repented of the idea that I am ever going to earn my way into God's good graces. That I have to just trust that God will do that. So I want God to take care of this. I'm going to let God do what only he can do, because I sure can't. And then they wanted to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives, that they were going to live their lives trusting that God had done that, that they, they might go visit the temple, they might not. They, they, would, they would live their lives, though, not, not acting as if it was up to them, but acting instead like it was up to God to put them right with God. So that's, that's what John has been telling them to do. John has gone around preaching this. He's been telling people, you can do this. And the, the sign of, of this mental exercise you've gone through, this repentance you've gone through, is to, is to do two things. To, to start living like it. Just kind of say, okay, that's, that's it. It's, it's happened. Now I'm going to start living that way. And secondly, to let him dunk you in the Jordan River. As a sign of that, so so that's what he's doing, and so so um, that's what that's what John has been doing. He's been telling people they can they can operate outside the religious establishment, and and not only that, John has no standards. John has no standards. It's like he's some kind of a huckster who's trying to goose his numbers. He's 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 got no standards at all. In fact, he says to the people who come out for the baptism, he says, "You children of snakes." He knows what kind of people they are, right? John has no illusions that these are somehow good people, nice people who've come out for for baptism. He knows they are terrible people. They're children of snakes. He says that to their faces. And and not only that, I mean, that's bad enough, right? But there's something worse than a child of a snake, and that's a tax collector, okay? And... To understand, you know, in the Bible, sometimes we forget they had a different way of doing taxes. They basically uh, would would sell a, a, a franchise to somebody whose job was then to squeeze people as hard as they could, get Rome its money, and then anything extra was yours. So they were they were thieves almost always. They were they certainly had a reputation as thieves. Um, and on top of that, they were collaborating with this foreign occupying government. And John is saying, hey. God can get them right too. That, you know, 
he's got no standards. John's letting tax collectors come to be baptized, right? And and speaking of the foreign occupying army, well, soldiers are showing up, and John's baptizing them too. The soldiers show up, and what about us? And John's saying, sure, just get in line. So John has no standards whatsoever. He's positioned himself outside the religious establishment. He's saying, you will never earn your way into God's favor. You're just going to have to trust that God will do that for you. And then when you do, just just let me dunk you in the river so that you have a you have a memory, you have a you have a mark of what God has done. That that there is the old you and now there's the new you, the new you that's trusting God. So that's what he's doing. He's he's assembled this, you know, this ragtag band, this this uh, collection of losers, these these derelicts and these deplorables who have shown up out there at the Jordan River. John has them all standing in line. And then something shocking happens. When people, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Jesus got baptized. This is the shocking thing, and it's hard for us to understand just how surprising this is. See, Jesus is not a deplorable. Jesus is not a loser. Jesus is not a tax collector. Jesus is not a sinner. But he lined up with the rest of them. There's a odd little passage in the Hebrew Scriptures in the book of Joshua. It tells us how Joshua was near Jericho and he looked up and he caught sight of a man standing in front of him with his sword drawn. And he said, "Are you on our side?" Sorry, there he went. He um, he said to him, "Are you on our side or that of our enemies?" And the man said, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. Now I have arrived. He, and people have speculated, is this an angel who appeared? Is this, is this a Christophany? Is this a, um, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? Uh, because, because he's the commander of the Lord's heavenly force, people think that, you know, it might be Jesus. It doesn't say. It's just this odd little thing. Jer- uh, uh, Joshua is outside Jericho. He's thinking, okay, we're about to, we're about to uh, go into the land and Jericho's the first thing in our way. And he's saying, are you on our side or on their side? And he says, neither. So whoever this is, whoever this is, is the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. He's arrived and he's not taking sides. But Jesus does. Jesus takes sides. Jesus picks a team. Jesus says, I'm with them. I'm with those losers. I'm with the tax collectors and the occupying soldiers. I'm with the riffraff. I'm with them. I'm with us. Jesus came as a human being, not simply a good human being. Jesus came to identify with all of humanity. Jesus was also baptized. Jesus got in line with everybody else. Jesus identifies with our broken humanity, not just the good things we do. Jesus identifies with us in the very worst things we do. And as shocking as that is, as surprising as that is, it cannot prepare us for what happens next. Because while Jesus is praying, heaven was opened 
And the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. Jesus doesn't need this. He doesn't need to get right with God. He doesn't need to earn his way into God's favor. He doesn't need to trust God already loves him and get baptized. Jesus doesn't need to do anything because God declares from heaven, I love you. Jesus doesn't have to lift a finger. But he does. He picks a team. He says, I'm with them. I'm with us. I'm with you. I'm with me. That's what Jesus is saying. And when the heavens open and the heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down and God speaks, we see that God approves of this. God approves and supports Jesus' actions. This this word in you um, where he says in you I find happiness. Different translations put that different different ways, but it has the idea that I don't just like you in principle. I've been watching you and I see what you've done, right? And I approve of that. So it's this idea that God is approving not just of Jesus as as a, you know, happy little baby back at Bethlehem, but he's been watching Jesus and he approves of who Jesus is becoming and what Jesus is doing. I approve of the whole you. And he sends his Holy Spirit to support the work that Jesus is now going to begin. So, what does Jesus look like? You know, Jesus shows us what God is like, but what does Jesus show us about people? Maybe Jesus looks like this. I don't know. Maybe Jesus looks like that. But the lesson of the baptism of the Lord shows us that really Jesus looks like this. Jesus looks like this. Jesus came down, stood in line with the reprobates and the losers. Jesus came down to identify with each of us. And God is not only okay with it, God says, this is great. I love what's going on here. I love what Jesus is doing. I left a couple of blanks on the program. If you're watching online, you can um, you can just get an ordinary piece of blank paper. Because because we don't have. I mean, you may not like tax collectors, but our tax collectors aren't like their tax collectors. Uh, we we aren't we aren't being um, oppressed by a foreign occupying army. We can't really relate to the to the bad people that Luke mentions that John is baptizing. But my guess is you you have somebody that when I've told you this, when I've said Jesus lines up with them, that somebody or that some uh, group of people went through your head and kind of said, really, them? And I'd like you to just write that down. If you're sitting next to them, just put their initials. Because that is what the baptism of the Lord is about. Nobody, uh, nobody sees this except you. But admit to yourself, this is the shocking thing. It is hard for me to imagine. I cannot fathom that God would identify with those people, with people like that. In fact, later on uh, in a couple of chapters, we're going to see people were still puzzled over this idea. And they, they asked his disciples, Jesus is eating with people like that. And they asked they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with people like that. And Jesus says, well, because healthy people 
need a, I mean, uh, healthy people don't need a doctor. These people do. Sick people need a doctor. So write down who it is you think, really? And maybe for some of you, you thought, well, I don't know about other people, but I, I have concerns about myself. I'm not sure Jesus would line up next to me. And if you don't think that, well, ask around, because you may have some flaws too. And use the second blank to say what it is that Jesus lines up with you despite. Jesus lines up with even those kind of people. And Jesus lines up with you despite that massive problem that is on your heart. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the way he has reconnected us to God, we can all have the kind of affirmation that Jesus had. We can have God declare us to be his children that he loves. And more than that, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon all people so that we can do what we we intend to do, that we can live as people who trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to really appreciate what it is that Jesus did at Christmas and in his baptism. Help us to, help us not just to think but to feel in our gut how wide and deep and high your love is for all of us. Help us to trust that that even though we do not deserve your favor, we have it, and that because of Jesus, we are adopted as your children. We ask you, Lord, to help us to trust to trust that and to live as if it's true. We pray this in his name. Amen.